the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Thessalonians. So when he was among them, he worked hard himself and he didn't take anything from them. He says, now, you saw how I worked, so you guys need to work and work hard. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay, so there's this strong work ethic in the Bible. And we as Christians should be some of the hardest working men and women, for the glory of God. Christians, sadly, are sometimes looked at as lazy workers. The Bible has something to say about this. And as you'll hear from Pastor Gary today, it's not a license to do nothing. In fact, you're urged many times to work and work hard for Jesus. Don't sit around waiting for Jesus to come back. Jump in and contribute. Do what you can, where you can, even if you're only able to do a little. Let's change the perception of Christians in the work environment. We should be the hardest working, not the laziest. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And the word encourage there in verse 17, in my translation, again, New King James and ESV uses the word comfort. And in the Greek word, it's parakaleo. And it's a great word, parakaleo, para meaning alongside, kaleo meaning to call. And that's the idea of encouragement, that God is called alongside of us to comfort us and to encourage us. God is in the business of encouraging and comforting his people. In fact, in John 14 and 15, when, when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, and, and the NIV uses the word uh, comforter, and in the King James uses the word counselor, and other translations he uses the word helper, okay? That word for the Holy Spirit, comforter, counselor, helper, is parakletis, which is, comes from the same word, parakaleo, because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us to comfort us, that God will not leave us as orphans, is what Jesus said, but I will provide for you a comforter, a counselor, a helper who will come alongside of you. Isn't it good to know that in this faith journey, we're not alone, that God is our comforter and he wants to encourage us and 
And so when we pray, when we seek his face, God is so faithful. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our weaknesses, wherewith we can then comfort others in their weaknesses and in their struggles. Do you know why God will comfort you and encourage you through something you're going through? It is not just so that you can relish in the moment, which is wonderful when you just give thanks to God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for my encouragement and my comfort. But it is so that you will take that and then minister to someone else who needs encouragement. So that we can be vessels of his encouragement and conduits of his comfort that would flow into the lives and hearts of other people. So when you know God has comforted you and encouraged you, help somebody else. Look around for somebody else that you can tell is going through something and just maybe ask, is there any way I can encourage you? Is there any way I can comfort you? And take what you've received and use it to minister to others. Well, in chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers, so back to our list now, this is going to be number 3, pray, pray hard, because he says here in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers, pray, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. He says, you know, when I came to you and I, and I spoke the word of God to you, it was honored among you. So he's asking for prayer as he continues to share the gospel wherever he goes, you know, look, this, and I use the word success, I know that's kind of a somewhat secular word, but you'll understand what I mean. The success of ministry is the result of the prayers of God's people. We can't expect God to move unless God's people are seeking God's face and asking him. Move, Lord, on your behalf. Open the ears of people who otherwise don't want to hear the truth and don't want to receive the gospel. Lord, tenderize the hearts of our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors. Pray. Ask the Lord that it might bear fruit, that it might fall on ears that are favorable. And he adds in verse 2, and pray, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. Now, he doesn't mean faith like, you know, the gift of faith. He means, like, not everybody's a believer. Not everybody's accepted Christ. So he says, because of that, some places we go, the gospel is met with hostility. So he he says, pray, pray for us where we go, that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And he adds in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Isn't that interesting? He kind of shifts from... There are some evil people who are opposed to and hostile to the gospel. But he says there's the evil one also who's in opposition to our faith in general. Of course, that's a reference to Satan. But he gives thanks to God. He goes, but God's faithful. Okay, Satan's not going to get the best of us. Because greater is the Lord, greater is he in us than he that is in the world, the enemy who's the enemy of our souls. But it's important that we exercise prayer in the battle because when the enemy comes against us, One of the weapons that we have in our arsenal is prayer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. I've said this many times. I've never met a person, myself included, who has ever said to me that they pray too much. If truth be told, all of us would admit we don't pray enough. But one of the things that Paul reminds us back in Ephesians, you don't need to turn there, but back in Ephesians 6, I'll turn there and read to you, is he gets through talking in this whole section in chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, really about what we commonly call today, it's almost become cliche, but we call spiritual warfare, but it, it really has to do with when 
when the enemy comes against us and there is a real enemy of our souls, Satan is still doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy, to tempt us, to discourage us, to deceive us. Because, you know, he understands enough of Scripture, right? I mean, he quotes Scripture when he tempts Jesus. So he knows Scripture. And he knows enough about his ultimate demise, but he wants as many people to go with him. That's his MO right now, okay? He hates you because you look like your father and you're loved by your father. So he wants to do everything he can to discourage you, tempt you, to deceive you, and and to try to do what he can to take as many people with him to ultimately the lake of fire where he's ultimately going to go to. But, and so in this whole Ephesians chapter 6 section, Paul is talking about here's how you arm yourself against the enemy. Here's some of the important things you need to do as you just kind of gird yourself and strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I'm going to read through it, but I'm going to emphasize the last part. So, but this is what he says in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so all this unseen stuff in the heavenly realms. The the demonic and, and the satanic forces that are at work. Okay, and Paul's saying, be aware of this. You don't need to be in fear of it in the sense that, you know, there's a demon under every bush. There is a demon under every bush, but you don't need to worry about it, okay? So, don't, you know, people go around like, well, they're, they're, don't worry. You need to be concerned, but you don't need to be in fear about it. People who are little, there's, there's usually two people in extreme when it comes to spiritual warfare. Either the people who are preoccupied with everything satanic, or the people who are just like, oh, and I don't believe in it, okay? Those kind of people. So, it needs to be somewhere in the middle, where you understand the forces of evil, but you also recognize power of God, and so you're not in fear of what the enemy can try to do, but he wants to rip you off, all right? So be on your guard, be alert. The enemy, your devil, Peter would write in his epistle, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we have to be on our guard. But anyway, Paul keeps going on, and he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, and he's going to speak here now like a Roman soldier and the the armor of a Roman soldier, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. That's that phrase again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he adds this in verse 18 of Ephesians 6, and this is the emphasis for what we're talking about in 2 Thessalonians. He says, and pray, and pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So you, you want to fight your battle against the enemy who will often come in like a flood, then put on the full armor of God and don't dismiss the power of prayer because that's how Paul wraps up all of Ephesians 6 there. says pray, all kinds of prayers, pray in the spirit and keep on praying and pray for all the saints because we're all in this battle together. And so back here in 2 Thessalonians 3, the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 
Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Verse 6, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Okay, pause for a moment. Here's what's going on. There were, and I, I, right now as I'm teaching, I'm hearing in my head the voice of J. Vernon McGee. I don't know if any of you have ever heard J. Now, J. Vernon McGee went on to be with the Lord, but J. Vernon McGee, his radio broadcaster, is still on the air, and I can hear him talking about, and he has this slurred kind of southern uh, drawl, and he goes, and he talks about, you know one of the worst things in the world? Lazy Christians. (laughs) Lazy Christians. Man, he was quite the man of the word. J. Vernon McGee, but that's what Paul's talking about here. Lazy Christians. He says, don't be idle. Now, the reason he's saying don't be idle is because they got complacent, and they got complacent all based on this whole thing about the second coming of Christ. So here's what they started to do. They started to say to themselves, well, Paul's talking about Jesus coming again, so, you know, why do we need to work? We don't need to, we can quit our jobs, we'll just sit at home, and we'll wait for Jesus to return. That's what they would do. They'd sit home, they'd get a remote, and they would eat Twinkies. That was the sin of the Thessalonians here. They would watch TV and eat, and eat Twinkies. But what, what he's saying here is, did the Twinkies go out of business now, or did they come back? Did they, they're back, praise God. Anyway, they... <laughs> Because they had killed the Twinkie, like, but then I heard they were bringing it back, so praise God. Anyway, all things are beneficial, okay? Not everything is... Anyway, they were idle because they were sitting around thinking to themselves, we don't need to do anything because Jesus is coming again. Well, Jesus is coming again, but you still need to work hard. And so Paul uses himself as an example. He says, please, follow my example, because when I was with you, I wasn't sitting around eating Twinkies. I was working hard. He says, I didn't take anything from you. Now, he's sensitive to this. Uh, He's going to add in the next verse, verse 9, we did this not because we don't have the right to such help. And Paul will also write in 1 Timothy chapter 5, around verse 18, he talks about how in ministry, he says, don't muzzle the ox. He draws on this Old Testament parable. He says, don't muzzle the ox when the ox is treading out the grain. And what he meant by that is that in Old Testament times, when an ox would be threshing the wheat underfoot with the threshing floor to separate the wheat from the chaff, that they would not muzzle the ox so that as the oxen was working, the ox would actually be able to benefit from some of his labor by eating some of the grain in the process of threshing out the grain. And Paul uses that in First Timothy chapter 5 to talk about how, hey, pastors and those in ministry, it's okay, don't muzzle the ox, let them enjoy the fruit of their labor, and they can actually make wages from those that he ministers to. So Paul is not coming down on that. He's simply saying this. He was with them for three weeks, three weeks, and he was being very sensitive that he didn't want to do anything to these new Christians to make them think that he was money hungry. So when he was among them, he worked hard himself, and he didn't take anything from them. He says, now, you saw how I worked. 
So you guys need to work and work hard. And he goes on in verse 10. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Okay. So there's this strong work ethic in the Bible. And we as Christians should be some of the hardest working men and women for the glory of God. You should not be ripping off your employer by coming in late or leaving early. Uh, You should go the extra mile because you're working as unto the Lord, not unto men, the Bible says. And Christians should have this kind of strong work ethic. People should look at us and realize we don't operate by the world's standards. We, We operate by a standard as unto the Lord. And so we should do things that honor God and in the process will honor the people that we work for and with. And so he commends here this strong work ethic. Now, I'm not so sure that, you know, there's, there's balance to this subject too, because Americans can tend to pride themselves in how hard they work, and we can end up burning ourselves out in an effort to, you know, work so hard and make so much so we can have a better lawn and drive a better car and live in a better house than our neighbor. And it becomes this terrible thing that of, of just like this insatiable need to work and work and work and make and make and make more money. Um, I was reading some statistics along these lines. In the United States, 85.8% of men and 66.5% of women work more these, those who are working outside the home, okay, if you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, you work inside the home too. But talking about those who work outside the home, 85.8% of men and 66.5% of women work more than 40 hours a week. Okay, so in the 1930s, the, the Senate passed a law saying that 30 hours was the work week, max, and that anything above that was to be overtime, but also in the 30s, so like that, that law passed like in 1933. About five years later, 1938, they came back and said, no, 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 we're going to make it 40 hours. We want Americans pumping out stuff. You know, we want Americans working hard, working hard, working hard. All the while, the French are singing Alouette, Junti Alouette, all right? And they're, and they're napping and eating cheese and drinking wine. But anyway, but the idea is Americans strong, not to offend the French, I'm just saying, all right? That's because in some ways I admire that. It's just like, oh, you know, take it easy, you know, you know, just, uh, uh, but anyway, Americans have, start to pride themselves in all this hard work, but at the same time, listen to this, we work more, we take less vacation than any industrialized nation on the planet, and we have lower middle class incomes now than we did 40 years ago when you adjust it for inflation. So we're working harder, we're taking less vacations, but we're not making as much money as we did 40 years ago when you adjust it for inflation. So something's wrong with that. And on top of it, 40.6 million Americans are sleep deprived. 40.6. Wake somebody up next to you right now. They've fallen asleep in the sermon, haven't they? Like, yeah, there's one of the 40.6. We're sleep deprived. Why? Because we're working hard, staying up late, not making as much money. So there's a caution to this too. You know, when I read this about work hard, if you don't work, you shall not eat. I get that. But then I also think to myself... Americans need to also remember the Sabbath to keep it holy because we need to rest too. So there's a balance to all of that. 
This is a remarkable man, Arthur Winston. Talk about a strong work ethic. This guy was the employee of the century in 1996, okay? He died about a decade ago. Let me tell you about Arthur Winston. He was a Los Angeles Metro employee for 76 years. He retired on his 100th birthday, okay? He was born and raised in Oklahoma. His first job at age 10 was picking cotton, and he credited his father for teaching him a strong work ethic. He said, quote, my dad got us out of bed whether it was raining or snowing. We got up at 6 o'clock no matter what, he said. And he said he could have retired when he was in his 70s, But listen to this, but he wanted to continue working to support family members who were struggling financially or pursuing college degrees. So he helped to finance his family members and their college tuition. He was married to his wife, Frances, for 64 years until she died at the age of 82 in 1989. And Winston took a day off to attend his wife's funeral, and it was the only day off he had taken, no sick days, in 76 years. Only day. And so in 1996, President Bill Clinton awarded Winston the Employee of the Century Citation for his work ethic and dedication. He is the most reliable worker that the United States Department of Labor has ever chronicled. But one month after he retired, he died. And, you know, there's sometimes that correlation between you know, feeling like you have a purpose and you're working, and then as soon as you retire, you know, you, you retire permanently. And, uh, and yet this guy, I, I read this story years ago, and I've had it in my file, and I, and I, I brought it out for tonight because I thought, what, what an incredible, hardworking man to work 76 years at the same place, retire on your 100th birthday. So uh, may we have even half that kind of a work ethic. Well, let's finish up the chapter in the book here. He says in, in verse 11, he says, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Okay, not a good thing. Busy body, another word for a meddler. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. That's a great verse to underline. Never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Okay, now that sounds harsh, but look at verse 15. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So in other words, he's not saying shun somebody who is idle, shun someone who you know, doesn't follow our instruction. He's not saying to disfellowship them. He's saying challenge them. But they're not an enemy. You know, we have to look at one another and realize that, you know, we need iron sharpens iron. We need to help one another. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to challenge each other from time to time. But we still need to treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Okay, we're we're not to treat each other as the enemy. We have an enemy of our soul. Okay, Satan is working overtime against us. We're not the enemies, each other. Friends, we are the body of Christ. We are to love each other and encourage each other. And yes, from time to time, challenge each other. But don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And he says, and now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. And in every way, the Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. 
which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. So often Paul would dictate his letters. Some say because he probably had an eye condition that made it difficult for him to write. But he would always at least close, give some kind of salutation in his own handwriting to authenticate. This is his letter. You can recognize my penmanship. And he says, um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So verse 16, he says, may the Lord uh, himself give you peace at all times. And in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection. As Pastor Gary Hammer teaches through the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or want to hear more like it, you can visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app by going to the Teachings tab under the menu at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once you're there, you can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be so happy to meet you and to get to know your story. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we encourage you to read over today's passage on your own. Once you do that, plan to join us for the next edition, where Pastor Gary will continue teaching from this New Testament letter, here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.